Hey everyone, just a few things before we get started. Use code HOWL, H-O-W-L, at Onyx Maps. You get 20% off. Additionally, you can go to our website, howlforwildlife.org, go to the membership section. You can get a Howl for Wildlife membership that's 30 bucks a year. That really helps us. You get benefits for doing that. In the same membership section, you can get a Pope and Young Howl for Wildlife membership. It's the same price that you would get it at Pope and Young, 45 bucks a year, except you get a Howl membership and a Pope and Young membership. Then you can also check out Go Hunt. You can get Pope and Young and Go Hunt, actually. But here's what Go Hunt's doing. You can get a Go Hunt Howl for Wildlife membership broken down into two different ways. The Explorer, which is all 50 states, plus everything in gear rewards. That's $49.99 a year. That's the same price they're offering. Or you can get the Go Hunt Insider subscription. Same price they're offering it, $149 a year, but you get the Howl for Wildlife membership also. With both of those, you get a special code to use at Go Hunt for a discount on everything that they sell. What Insider is, it's all it's maps for all 50 states, plus it's filtering 2.0, draw odds, strategy articles, unit profiles, species breakdowns, and monthly giveaways. If you don't know what that all that stuff is, just go to GoHunt.com, check it out. It's a super good deal, but for both of these memberships, they're donating basically half of the price that you're paying to buy these back to Hal for Wildlife. Pretty incredible. That's it. Enjoy the episode. All right, what's happening, everybody? Hallcast with Travis Thompson out of Florida, John Stallone, and I am Charles Whitlam. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. What's happening? What are we doing? What are we doing today? What do you want to talk about? Well, I think it's important because I feel like a lot of guys are still missing, and I say guys, but guys and girls missing the point here that what we're, what we're trying to do, uh, we're trying to get the hunting community as a whole to actually be a community and, uh, and stand up for one another. And also to realize that issues in one state may not seemingly affect you directly but they do affect you uh, in the grand scheme of things. And that it's important for you to be involved in all those issues, whether it's something that you partake in, whether it's in a state that you hunt in um, or, or not. So that's kind of, I think, where my, where I think we should set the stage before we talk specifically about Florida. Like that's kind of where. So, so why should people living in Oklahoma be concerned with something that's going on in Oregon or exactly. vice versa, or even across borders into Canada? We've had some actions in Canada mm-hmm. <clears throat> and even Africa, actually. We've had a few that are concerning Africa. They're really a, it's a bill, you know, that would, that's a New York bill, but right. it's, affects here, but, but in, affects Africa, affects what's mm-hmm. happening in Africa, affects the communities that are living there and the hunters who go there and the dollars that are spent. Um, yeah. So why should people be, why should people be concerned about what's going on in other States? Um, well, I did a little video the other day. Mm-hmm. I, got some, I got some bullet points. This is basically what I was reading from was a few bullet points here. Uh, and you guys step in whenever, but you know, the, the first thing was non-resident dollars is super important to states and other countries. So since that's the case, it should be to those states or other countries' legislators as well. So don't feel like you shouldn't reach out to a legislator that's in a different uh, you know, state or, or district um, because I think you have good reasons to reach out to those people. And they have good um, reasons to listen to you. Extremely good reasons. You, you come there and participate in that state's hunting or fishing activity. And it's more than just participation. You're spending a lot of money there. You're buying fuel, you're purchasing hotels, you're eating out, you're going to the grocery stores, you're going to the, 
the sporting goods stores, you're paying guides, you're paying outfitters. You're essentially being, it's a form of tourism, 100%. You are vital to that state or country's economy. Um, just the sale, just to put some numbers to it, and you can actually, off the, maybe I'll put this link in the show notes. Um, you can look at each state individually. I'll have to find Canada if that's even if that's even out there. But just for tags, hunting tags that are sold, mm-hmm. tags alone, it's almost a half a billion dollars a year. So that's what non what I mean is non-residents who buy tags. It's like four hundred and eleven million plus dollars a year. A year. So that's that's huge. That's just the tags. Fishing right. is is like two hundred and because they're you know they're less expensive, uh, two hundred and some two hundred fifty eight million maybe something like that. But then when you get into <laughs> everything that's bought for fishing, I was gonna say uh, yeah, boats and tackle. Yeah. I mean, it ends up being plus there's more there's more anglers. It ends up being the lion's share, you know. Um, What's so that saying for so, boat? Bring it, bring another thousand. <laughs> fantastic investment buying boats yeah they, they increase um so then on the flip side if you are that hunter or angler who is traveling to another state or another country it's an investment in the in your future trips it's an investment in yourself because if montana gets a right to hunt or florida gets a right to hunt and fish um that means you can continue, you know, you can continue going there and your kids can and your grandkids and, and so on and so forth. That's an investment to get those, those things in place. Um, whatever's going on in another state, that's an investment for you. Um, the third thing was the, uh, the North American model. It's not the Missouri model or the Oklahoma model or the Florida model. It's the North American model. And what I mean is the North American model of of wildlife conservation. So to me, that says, well, we're all in this together as North Americans. So are we going to defend that? Are we going to promote that? Do we want that to continue in our, to be uh, utilized in our commissions and our departments and have our legislators recognize that? Some legislators are unaware of what the North American model of wildlife conservation is. That was, that was brought to my attention uh, last year in Colorado. Um, But, but that legislator had a really good experience with it. She said, man, through all these emails, I learned about (laughs) this model of conservation that I really wasn't aware of before. And and she really appreciated the the emails. Um, And then of course, on the other side of um, of us are anti-hunters and they of course cross borders all the time all All the time time. we see the same people even in meetings we'll see the same people in one state like hey i just saw that person in in this state another in this state you know given their given their testimony or whatnot so and they do it on behalf of wildlife they say they're fighting for wildlife uh which is which is which is interesting because much of what they do would actually have a detrimental effect on wildlife. So let's take out all predator hunting. We're going to have more predators Mm -hmm. which need to eat more food. Right. And what do they eat? They eat prey species. (laughs) So the prey species are going to, are going to suffer. And then what happens when they run out of prey species in that area, then they move and then they get closer to the humans. And I mean, there's, there's just so many, there's well, so many things wrong with that there. They, they view it as if, <clears throat> if we just leave everything alone, the ship will right itself. That nature will mm. take care of itself. And, and, and the reality of that is it's, um, it, it may eventually happen after a bunch of vicious cycles of up and down, up and down and up and down for decades, maybe even hundreds of years. Um, it might level itself out i don't know but the fact of the matter is when we had that kind of balance when preys prey and predator can somewhat manage themselves without human interaction there was only you know a couple hundred thousand people in the world and now there's eight billion people so 
and and all the stuff that we build and all you know i've said this a million times but our fingerprint is on everything so the reality of that happening is it's not even i don't even think it's a a question if that it could happen to be honest with you so. well i i think it's it's also it's anti-human it's it's anti-human as well. Uh-huh. It's not recognizing humans as being a part of this world and nature, which is strange. It really is. It's not recognizing that when humans, when we use our intellect and our and and data and and to make things better, that it actually does. And just look at the last hundred years of what's happened when humans were like, "Yo, we need to stop," you know, all this market killing and wiping out these resources. So we need to bring them back. And what has happened? What has been a result of that? It's been an absolute success story. I think George Perkins Marsh that wrote like in the mid 1800s is man over nature or is man of nature. And Mm. it's, it's very difficult to disassociate us with nature. And I think that's easy in today's day and age because we live in urban urbanized settings so much, but we really are of nature. And I, I, I try to wrap my head around that thought a lot. Like, doesn't matter where you go you are in the wild it's just been drastically conditioned and changed which is right. like I'm, I'm watching hawks in my backyard in a subdivision right now like that's still wild what's happening right there um, we just have to reconnect with it and, and tangibly reconnect with it and I, I think that's a difficult thing anthropogenic effects have been happening on wildlife mm. since there's been man and you know we can go find shell mounds in south florida or find little bays that have been built where they would trap fish and the tide would go out it's like man has always interacted and been a part of nature we've got to kind of recapture some of that uh in in our our leaving it as society seems to be doing yeah you know when the power goes out and a big storm comes in or a hurricane or something or a freeze things get wild pretty quick for people living in cities you know, yeah. it happens. We're not that far away from it. So, you know, we have these, whatever, we won't get into that. But anyway, um, so anti-hunting, right? They they cross borders all the time. They do it on behalf of wildlife. Anti-hunting is, is I think, anti-human. It's also anti-wildlife. Um, so they're doing it. So why can't we? Why can't we fight for wildlife? I think we are actually pro-wildlife um, with, what, with what we do. Interestingly enough, through hunting, through fishing. Um, if it's if if things are managed right, if we're using the science, we're using the best available science, we certainly are pro wildlife. Um, and then, sort of the the if you zoom out the ten thousand foot view, anti hunting orgs are fighting a war. I don't know if we're fighting a war. <laughs> I don't know if we realize it yet, but here's how they do it. Their strategy is, you know, let's go to Washington and intervene. You know, let's get, we got the governor that we want. The governor can appoint commissioners that we want and we can change how wildlife is managed quite drastically. And that's what's going on there. Obviously we've seen this happen in California. We see it happen in States, you know, where they can get a foothold, but it's important to recognize Husis and PETA and whoever else, all these groups, they are a fundraising machine, a very well-oiled, very well-funded, very well-organized machine. They make a ton of money off of, you know, their statements and off of lies and off of saying, you know, this is trophy hunting or, you know, uh, whatever it is that they do, they anthropomorphize animals. They, they, they pull at the heartstrings. But my point there is if they win in Washington and they screw that state up completely, um, they don't have to really start working on the ungulates and saying, we need to stop hunting of, of elk there or deer there, because if they're successful in getting rid of or severely diminishing predator hunting, that's going to have a big effect on predators or sorry, on ungulates, prey species. And according to science, according to, you know, numbers of animals that are out there, we're going to have to therefore hunt them less. So their work there is done. And then they're going to go to another state. They're going to try it in Oregon. They're trying to literally get rid of everything in Oregon, all types of hunting and farming and 
breeding of animals and all that. Obviously, we have California. There's a lot here that we can't do. Maybe we're on the rebound right now where we're going to get a few of those things back. It's kind of interesting. But my point there is when they're done with these states, they're not just going to close up shop. Right. These are, these are careers for them. They're making so much money. They will go to your state. That So when you see a battle going on in another state, that is your battle. You're just a little bit further away from it right now. But if you get in the fight right now, we are all going to be much, much stronger for that. Right. We need to organize now. So then they, they can't get through these states and then get to states where you traditionally wouldn't think um, they would have a chance. They would have a foothold in. And But they're very clever. And when we mess up, when hunters mess up, when people do things that are stupid, and even on the legislative level, I think that's kind of what's going on in Utah right now. Utah, you know, is a pretty protected state when it comes to hunting. You start doing some stupid stuff there. I don't know. Here's a chance for the anti-hunters to come in and start pulling at heartstrings. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw mountain lion hunting as a whole um, come up to be banned completely completely the opposite of what everybody wanted of what everybody right. was trying to do but the process that they went through of not using science to adjust a mountain lion season or a mountain lion take that's pretty sketchy um maybe we can get to that later but but yeah i mean those are those were sort of the five reasons i know there's more there's a lot more those are kind of the five reasons yeah, I think we, we should kind of get, get to those other reasons, though, because yeah. a lot of those things that you're saying, um, well, at least not the last two, but a lot of things that that's still like, if I'm that guy that's like, oh, that doesn't affect me, it's easy to just kind of write that stuff off. One, I think one of the main things that you started bringing up, like that if – they succeed in Oregon, let's say. Now you lose Oregon hunters. Okay. You just lost a large chunk of however many million that was, or the hundreds of thousands that was. Um to the state. You mean like chunk. to the state. Yeah. Or wildlife management. Yeah. You, you lose you lose to the to the state, but you also lose it at, at a, as a seat at the table, okay, at the conservation yeah. table. Hunters. And anglers have always had the largest seat at the table when it comes to stakeholders and, and talking about wildlife management, how things are done in, in the United States, part of the North American model that you had elaborated on earlier. If you take those voices away, if you take that funding away, okay, let's say none of those people are, they don't, they don't really, they're not active, but the sheer fact that they buy a license uh, the sheer fact that they pay into the system to this user pay system that we have, you know, bolsters are our seat at the table. So you, you start diminishing that and our, and it makes it easier and easier for the anti-hunting establishment, whatever you want to call it to chip away at the armor because the armor is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, you know, if bear hunting goes away in, in one state and let's say, I don't know, I'm just arbitrary numbers here, 20% of those bear people that hunt bear only hunt bear. Now, what is that guy going to do? He's going to pick up mountain biking, whatever, whatever, something else. He's not hunting bears anymore. So he's no longer in the system. He's no longer there. Um, it's that, you know, that old saying from World War II or whatever, you know, First they first they came for me uh, for this guy and and I didn't get involved. First then they came for this guy and I didn't get involved. Then they came for me and there was nobody left there for me. So like that that mentality is I mean I've said it on my podcast a bunch. I actually uh, the guy who brought it up first was uh, Sam Ayers and he put it you know perfectly for for the situation what we were talking about. It's but it fits this. It fits this. Like if nobody is nobody's there to help the other guy, and that other guy goes away, then that other guy's not there to help you. Basically, you know. 
And it, it's got to be, and if you look at it even more abstractly, okay, just we're all paying into this, this uh, federal system that's a collective coffer, right? That money gets diminished. Again, that's going to, you know, make our voice at the table weaker. It's going to make us smaller. And it's just a compounding effect and it keeps getting smaller and smaller. We, we see all these people that don't want to do R3. You know, we, we constantly see this, oh, I don't want to, you know, there's already, you know, the, the opportunities diminishing. I, I, I don't want to bring in more competition. We don't need more hunters. Um, blah, 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 blah. And, okay. I understand that because I'm a hunter. I don't want more competition. I don't want, you know, so for me, my R3 is getting the children, the next generation. That's not necessarily a competition with me directly right now, but you also got to look at it like this. Okay. If you do not want to get involved in recruiting more, more soldiers into the, into the fight here, then you got to do whatever you can to keep the soldiers that are there intact. And I brought something up on Instagram yesterday about um, guys who don't want to get involved in lion and mountain lion stuff, like not lion and bear stuff. And I'm like, so because they don't, I'm sorry, because they don't participate in those, in those, um, you know, in that type of hunting, but that's perfect that those guys are not doing what you do. They're not in direct competition with you. They actually don't even hunt during the same time period as you. Okay. For the most part, but they're your allies. So those are the, the perfect people you want to like get behind and, and support. And those bills are the ones you definitely want to, you know, like, I don't, I just don't understand the mentality of, of not wanting to help because it, it's not what I do. Like, I, I don't know. I, may, I might be going around in circles here, but. I, I, I liked when you were talking about your point and, and John, you said something that struck me when I first watched, um, Charles's reel the other day, the, the federal lands argument is like, to me, such a big deal for all of us. Like that mm -hmm. it's all our money, right? Like every time I see any time talk of restrictions on federal lands, I'm like, wait a second, your state WMAs, your private lands, whatever. That's a different conversation, but federal lands, like just because you live in Wisconsin or you live in Utah or wherever, like federal lands are mine too. Like, like I've, I've got a dog in that fight and we should all mm. kick about that. Um, the other thing that kind of resonated with me being a Florida guy, when, when I was watching you guys talk about, you know, what, why should you care about other States is what I'll classify as a good selfish reason. And that is everybody has dreams about going and chasing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You ever on the Eastern half of the United States, everybody comes to Florida at some point to go to Disney world or go to Bush gardens or, or whatever, Miami, at some point they have this dream about going and catching a tarpon or going and catching a bonefish or shooting an Osceola Turkey or like, so even a non hunting state, like, like Florida, if you're listing States for hunting, you wouldn't put us near the top of the list typically, even though I'm a passionate hunter in the state and love it. If you want to, know, I've hunted in Florida a bunch. <laughs> so well, there's nowhere else you can go. If you want to kill your fullness or your black belly or your model, this is the place you got to come to do it. Like, so it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting way to look at it. Like if you live in Oklahoma and you're a duck collector, you dang sure should take an action in Florida because at some point to get all your ducks, you're going to have to come through Florida, which is if I'm a duck collector in Florida, at some point I'm gonna have to go through Oregon to, 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 you know, or Washington state to try to get a shot at a Harlequin without going to Alaska or whatever. Like it's, it's very important. It's very interconnected. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek that it's a selfish perspective, but if you, if you really are passionate about chasing animals in wild places and collecting experiences, it's really hard to do that. And then there's what Charles said a minute ago, the flip side of that, which is the economic benefit to those States, whatever that comes in. But I think, I think it's not to be overlooked, like the, the collecting side. I never, I never knew uh, was it the spoon, the spoon, spoonbill paddlefish, like they fish for those in like Oklahoma and stuff. Oh, yeah. I kind of go do that. South, South Dakota. Pay attention to some of those states now because it's a, it's a thing that I'm kind of interested in doing. And whereas in the past, I would have probably glanced over an action alert from that. 
now I'm paying attention to it because it is a thing that like, man, I, I don't know. That's a destination for me, but it definitely, if I was in the area or was able to tack on a day somewhere, I'd have to go get after that. And that's, that's pretty unique to me. And I think that's a thing that maybe it was ensconced in some of the other ideas Charles mentioned, but I think it's, it's definitely worth mentioning is, is this idea of, we all have dreams of like, that's the American thing, right? We have the American dream. Mm-hmm. We all have dreams about going to places and doing some of this stuff. Um, you, your, your Rio Grande turkeys, your, your Miriams, your Goulds, your Easterns. Like we all have these ideas. There's guys out there that want to kill a turkey in 49 States. Right. Like, you want to kill a turkey in 49 states, you better be plugged into 49 states as far as making sure you take, and, and this is, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but this is where Hal does such a good job. Like your actual earth system and stuff takes 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Like, and suddenly I've taken an action in Montana and suddenly I've taken an action in Utah and suddenly I've taken an action. Right. Really, you guys have put the cookies on the bottom shelf to stay engaged, which is a huge deal. Um, The other thing, and I don't, I don't think I talked about this the other day. So if we look at this from a, like we're in a war and it's strategy. There's 23 states, I think right now, I think it's 23. I don't know, somewhere close to that, that have some form of a right to hunt or fish. And there's various protections. So what that means, let's, I guess let's break that down. You guys help me out here, but a right to hunt I'll use Montana for a, for a perfect example because this is a good one. They have a right to hunt and fish there. I think that was put in place in 2013. So why this year are we fighting for a right to hunt, trap, and fish? Well, let's back up first of all. The right to hunt just means that – so it doesn't mean you don't have to buy a tag. It's not like a right – like, you know, you have a right to uh, freedom of speech or something like that. It's it's uh, it means it's protected in the state. So hunting is going to be a part of what they do in that state, and you will have access to be able to do that. However, it doesn't necessarily mean all forms of hunting are protected, and it doesn't protect all current species in the state. Um, So like you could lose bear hunting in Montana. It also doesn't, and this is really important because this has been one of the other side's talking points, it doesn't mean that Montana fish and wildlife can't manage species and present data and say, Hey, we need to lighten up on, you know, deer hunting or something because of these numbers. No, that's all still in place. Okay. So now what we're doing now with the action in in Montana is an amendment to the constitution. And what that is, is to protect all, it adds trapping for one, which is important and it protects all current methods of take. So now it does protect archery. Now it does protect muzzleloader hunting or or whatever types of hunting that they have there. Because essentially, if you have a right to hunt in a state, a group could still come in and fight to get rid of, let's just say, archery hunting. But you'd still have a right to hunt because you can rifle hunt or you can whatever else, right? So this is just a further protection of that. But that's a little in the weeds to understand. But Back to my what I was going to say, the original point, the more states that we have from a strategy point of view, that means we can kind of. We know those states can't be attacked from the anti hunting orgs, so now we know where we need to focus our efforts, so if Florida gets this. They've just built up a a pretty big defense, a pretty big wall around them for protection it's not it's not protection it's not 100% but it's a lot more than what they have right now. So that means we know, you know, it's going to call, if somebody wants to fight something in Florida and and they get it, it's going to cost more resources, more time, more energy. They're probably just going to leave Florida alone and they're going to stick to the States that don't have it. So now we can take another one right off, right off the table. Don't have to worry about Florida. Now we don't have to worry about Montana. We don't have to worry about Utah. We don't, you know what I mean? All the States that have that. This is so important on our side to build, to build up this foundation. Like that is, that might be the biggest reason for if we want to make the anti-hunting orgs irrelevant and strain their fundraising machine, this might be the biggest reason why we should all be involved. If I look at this as a, a game of risk, 
Uh-huh. You know, look at it. It's like a board game. It's genius for us to be able to do that. That's let's do that. Let's build up that foundation. Yeah. Um, Long story short, we should systematically be doing that. Systematically be doing that in every single state. Yeah. And and the, and the more states that get it, the easier it will be to get in other states because, well, not, not necessarily, but <clears throat> in theory, yes. I, I can't remember if we talked about this. I, I was on with you guys back when we talked about the Return Act um, mm-hmm. with mm. Andrew Clyde, and, and yep. we talked about like some of the risk with with the Pittman Robertson dollars. I think I think Mark Oliva was on from National Shooting Sports on that on that episode yeah. too, and. I think I said in that episode, I, I forgive me. So if I forgive me, if you're listening and you remember that and I'm repeating, I don't remember. Um, but I think I said something to the fact. So Florida's Florida's wildlife agency, FWC, the funding from hunters to that agency is about two and a half percent to that budget, which is a shocking number. When I tell that to people in the conservation world around the country, you know, you go to Tennessee and I think it's like 85%, you go to Mississippi and it's 90%, you go to Alabama and it's like, it's a significant number. If you combine hunting, fishing, and all federal dollars that come back through Pittman, Robertson, Dingle, Johnson, the the F- whisper funds as we call them, um, Florida's wildlife budget is funded at fifteen percent through all of that money, all in, all the chips on the table. That's not a very big percentage. And what we've seen shift societally down here is that as people move here, um they're they they don't engage in these activities we get a thousand people a day that move to florida so basically we had a city the size of orlando every year and it's created systems to to share the load in conservation funding which we've all been supportive of in the past and you know even mahoney has talked about that and everything else and when you combine that you reduce our seat at the table and i i'm not saying we shouldn't be sharing the load funding wise but when you get rid of that if you don't have a protection of their right to hunt and fish. The thing that gets used against us in this conversation a lot is social science. Mm. And once that starts to creep in and you get a state where a population shifts and they're not participating in consumptive activities, or as I like to call them contributing activities where they're paying a fee to do it, that social science, political science is a version of social science. It's a, it's a, it's a field of it that starts to get applied and you can politicize. Well, Wait a second. It's not bringing in that much money for hunting. It's not, and, and then let's slice it even further, right? Like, how much money are we really making off duck stamps in Florida? You only got fourteen thousand duck hunters here, so what is it? Five bucks for your state stamp? That's, you know, quick math on the back of a napkin, seventy grand. Like, that's not a significant number in a in a wildlife agency that's got almost a half billion dollar budget. Mm-hmm. Without a right protected and ensconced, we become more and more marginalized in those conversations. And I I deal with it every day in a state. I say this all the time. Wildlife management is not partisan, but it is very political depending on where you're at in the country. And we talk about Oregon and Washington a lot in Florida. It's very politicized in Florida. And that's because the vast majority of people don't hunt. Even the vast majority of people don't fish, although they, I think they have a much more casual relationship with that and a much more friendly relationship with that. So if you look at it as a funding mechanism, I'm not going to say it's not nothing, but it's not significant. In, in my state. And so this, this kind of constitutional amendment, like we're talking about here, solidifies our seat at the table and gives us, frankly, just a, it doesn't give us a win, but it definitely gives a degree shift in the conversation. I was asked recently by our wildlife commission to meet with humane society. I was asked recently by our wildlife commission to meet with folks like that. And it's like, dude, I'll, I'll say that to other our friends that you and I have in the NGO world, in the conservation world. And they're like, wait, seriously. And that's like the most baffling thing they've ever heard of. And that's because social science is driving those conversations and that, that the, the politicization of wildlife management, hmm. without this protection in place and without a funding mechanism in place, we're kind of out on a limb with no net. So this is a pretty serious net that we're trying to put in place with this type of ballot language that I think right. is for other states moving forward. Good question, Travis. Um, so you, you mentioned the numbers on hunting. How does that look in fishing? Because I know fishing in Florida obviously is, is ginormous. Yeah, so fishing, we sell about, I want to say it's a million and a half licenses a year. Okay. But we're very near um, what's called a max state on the Dingle Johnson side of Whisper. 
Mm-hmm. We're very close to getting the max. So in other words, there's a tipping point. Right. I can't remember our exact number, but let's say we're at 2 million licenses. And if we sold two and a half million licenses, we would be a max state. At that point, your federal dollars don't increase anymore because you're capped on what you can receive from the feds. So we're almost maxed out on the fishing side because there's so much fishing that occurs here, which kind of disincentivizes recruiting new fishermen. Right. You think about it, like pragmatically, there's no revenue stream attached to that. Wow. It's really kind of, yeah, like it's, it's, you get I mean, maybe for the department, but for the state, no. I mean, think about, again, like we were talking about earlier, how many boats are sold, how many fish and tackle, how many businesses are associated with, I mean, the last few times that I went fishing in in Florida with my son, he, I, I think I spent a thousand dollars on a day, you know, because I came from out of state. I was visiting my my in laws, and you know, I I went with a guide, and I, you know, I was just a lot it was a lot of money to go fishing for one day, you know, we, to have the experience. We have a thing in Florida where we cover. We have a guide's license. So, like, I buy I, I do some saltwater guiding as well. Mm-hmm. I can buy a guide's license. It's two hundred and one dollars a year. This is separate from the Coast Guard license. This is a guide's license. It's $201 a year. And that covers any client that fishes with me over the course of that year. Really? So your fishing license, I think, I, I haven't bought an individual fishing license in a long time. I think it's 18 bucks. Hmm. You Non-residents don't have to pay for fishing licenses if they go with guides. We oh, could, we could I, be I wish a, I would have known that because I bought mine. We <laughs> next date instantly tomorrow by doing away. And I'm not saying we should do away with that. I, I would be interested in a conversation around about, I don't know. I haven't thought a position through on that, but I do know like we leave a lot of revenue on the table just to incentivize the tourism dollars associated with coming to Florida to fish because right. it's so much economic. Like you just said, I guarantee you stayed in a hotel, you ate dinner, you bought souvenirs. Oh, yeah. else. like the economy benefited, the guy benefited. So really it's probably not a bad idea because it's incentivizing people to come here. Right. Yeah. I'm looking up, on FWS right now for Florida. I don't know how they have data for 2023 already. I'm not sure how they're doing that, but it's not much different from 2022. So I'll say it anyway. So paid fishing license holders in total, 1,743,139. Oh, it's almost 2 million. Um, <laughs> resident of that resident. Now this says resident fishing licenses, tags and permits. So that's different than just license holders because and stamps. 1,713,983 non-resident fishing licenses, tags, permits, and stamps, 865,659. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. So the gross cost for fishing licenses, 46,938,000 and some change. Non and it's like resident is 23 million. Oh, yeah, uh, resident million twenty three thousand. Non-resident is twenty three thousand nine hundred and fourteen. That in monetary. So, um, just like Colorado, I was going to say Colorado resident like hunting licenses far outweigh. Well, this one isn't far in Florida, but in Colorado, it does far outweighs uh, oh. what the state gets um, from. Uh, from non-resident hunters as opposed to resident hunters. But anyways, that's some, just some numbers on Florida there. I absolutely love this site. I didn't know it existed where they had all this data compiled and you can just drop down to any state or select all and look at all the numbers you want. I, I, I guess this is a new thing, but it's incredible. And I can go all the way back to like 1960. Yeah, it's, it's a tremendous historical, like you yeah. can kind of see swings up and down and everything. Yeah. 1980 was the high point. Was it? For amount of hunters, it was almost 17 million. But I guess that can be contested because now we have lifetime licenses and we have free licenses for veterans and different things. So I guess yeah. it's kind of hard to, but still. I, I've really heard know. now it's 15, 15 million to 18 million. That's kind of a big yeah. span. So I don't. For hunters. I always, go with, hunters. I always go with 16 when people are talking to me, so. You air you air on the low side, but high, right? In anglers, it's it's I don't know fifty some million. I mean, you know, back to our point. If we can, <laughs> we need the anglers, <laughs> right? Right. We need to be all recognized as sportsmen, and when there's an issue, sportsmen get involved. 
that would be incredible. You know, I don't know how to how to get there, but if we really want the numbers, if we really want to outweigh easily the anti-hunting crowd, sportsmen. If sportsmen are one, that's anglers and, and hunters and, and, and even recreational shooters and all that, man, our job would be pretty easy. Well, I got a good I got a good incentive for the for the uh, anglers to two, two good points. I'm primarily a hunter. I fish occasionally. If you took hunting away from me, I'm going to be fishing a lot more. So there's going to be a lot more competition. That's number one. But number two, once the anti-hunters are done with hunting, you can 100% be sure that they're going to come after fishing. Have you seen that documentary? I didn't know what it was about. Sea Spiracy? Yeah, uh, I'm watching I, it and I was like, oh, this I might be this might be good. And it just starts basically, it just got to like we just should stop fishing and stop eating meat, stop eating fish meat mm-hmm. is kind of it's kind of what they were getting at there. And I'm like, oh, look at this. They're coming after the fishing, the anglers at yeah. all. Well, they go after commercial fishing <laughs> all the time. It's yeah, the, it's this the was polar this was line like, guys that haven't gone after a bunch yet, but they're meat. basically telling people to just stop eating fish like across right. the board seen issues in florida recently and this is not it's a it's a separate issue altogether but we've seen a couple of years ago there was a viral video going around where a family that was fishing was accosted um they were fishing in tampa st pete area they were accosted while they were fishing and these anti-fishing people took their fish and threw them back in the water like they were catching bass or something for dinner and the anti-fishing people took the bass and threw it back in the water it went viral got a lot of run and then kind of went away but we've also seen um, the conflict when you put as many people as you have, and, and Charles, you're California, like you, you know this already, like when you put as many people as you do in areas where people are going to interact with wildlife, you start to see these human, um, human interactions around wildlife management. And we, we've got one going currently around a fishing pier that's a state park in Florida where pelicans are getting entangled. And they're tangled to fishing lines. And obviously no one wants to see pelicans get hurt. Or I don't want to see an animal suffer. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman, but I don't want to see an animal suffer. But it becomes this very kind of dicey situation because then the way to prevent that is to restrict fishing. Well, as pelicans increase, and we know pelicans are doing well number-wise, if you look across the Southeast, they were delisted in 85, and then they were downlisted in Florida in the early 2000s, and then again in 2010s. We know that their numbers are going up. And we see these entanglement issues. Well, suddenly Humane Society and Audubon, all, all those groups are suddenly involved in a conversation on this. And this is like, I'm giving you tangible flesh and bones here. This is a fishing issue that we just addressed at our commission meeting like a month ago because they, they wanted to do Skyway Fishing Pier is one of the longest fishing piers in the world. It's the remnants of the old Skyway Bridge. They wanted to close like the last quarter mile of it to, uh, to uh, what's called a sabiki rig, which is how we catch bait off that pier. I mean, this is a pier that when you think about it, and I don't know you guys that well, but like for me, I grew up fishing off piers. I didn't have a lot of money, a lot of boats, like a Friday night for me staying out of trouble was me and my buddies going to the pier and hanging a lantern off the side and catching snook or catching grouper or catching jacks and trash fish. We were out there having a good time. And so when you start to see regulations placed around some of that stuff and every stakeholder is viewed as equal in the conversation. And we've got social science decisions being made to drive wildlife management decisions. There's not actual science behind it. It gets really problematic. And I'm just saying that's a fishing issue that's right here on the surface for us. Um, another one I'd give you is like is like the idea of, of manatee zones. There's some of those that we've put in just because of, of pressure. And I'm, I'm pro-manatee. People will hear this and say, oh, my God, he's anti-manatee. That's not at all the case. I'm very pro-manatee. I love seeing them. I think they're cool. Tourists love them. Fishing people love them when we see them out there. But um, you can really get in the weeds pretty quickly. We tend to think, oh, it's easy for him to go after trapping. Oh, it's easy for him to go after bear hunting. Oh, it's easy for him to go after shutting down mountain lions or whatever. I'm here to say, like, in a state where you think everybody's okay with fishing, we see kind of fishing pushback all the time. Fishermen are not immune to this conversation. They're not, they're not uh, ignorant of this conversation, and it's coming. And it, as our population grows, as people move, you're going to see it become more and more in more and more places. And so I think it's a, it's very much a, a people need to be aware. It's not just on the hunting side. It's a big fishing yeah. too. No, it's, I mean, it's huge. Cause 
like Charles said, um, if we can bring them all un, under the fold here, right? Everybody's working together. Now you just took whatever we said earlier, 15, 16 million, and you just brought it up to 50 million or whatever it is. Well, that's a huge jump, right? If you got 50 million people that are working towards the same goal, and that is protecting the way of life that we all enjoy, um, it's it's far more it's far more effective. We got to get we got to get Bass Pro Shops and these big places to to uh, to promote us. That's what we got to do <laughs> to reach the everybody, fishermen and people who you know every once in a while do it, kind of a thing. I mean, really, yeah. that's what we have to do. Um, and message that correctly. You know the big difference. Community. The big difference a little bit. And I don't want to put you guys in a weird situation, but I think about this a lot. Is you know, on fishing, you can have a catch and release side, and there's viewed there's a there's a there's a subset of the fishing community that kind of views that as almost like a pure form of recreation because they're not having an impact on the fish but if you look at the mortality rate on that and i use my dad as example my my dad is a my dad is a meat fisherman if he's going fishing the reason he's going fishing is so that something can come home and be eaten and so my dad goes fishing in tampa bay you know three times a year and if he and my mom go and they catch a keeper redfish a piece, they take six redfish out of the system on their, on their three times a year, you know, mm-hmm. versus the guy that catches 50 redfish a day with an 8% mortality or 6% mortality over the course of a week, that guide has killed. I, I didn't do the math well in my head, but 15, 18, 20. And if you have a hundred guides out there, you're killing 15, 1800, 2000. I'm not demonizing anybody in that conversation just to say, the idea behind the sports that we're doing is that there is an impact. That's why we pay a user fee on it. Mm-hmm. And we do that through the lens of consumptive use. And I think it's very important to always keep that when you take a kid out fishing, it's an eight. We talk about hunting being an eight, right? Like I've heard you guys talk about this a billion times that like there's a, in our hearts, there's something human. We've talked with Robbie about it on blood origins, there's something human about being a hunter. The same thing exists. You take, you take your kid out fishing and let them pull a, fish up and what's the first thing if they can talk what's the first thing they ask you can we keep it yeah that's what they want to do they want to keep catch this thing you could just tell it's like ingrained in them in their very human no one taught them that they just you take a three-year-old out there he catches a fish he's like can we keep it dad it's it's very human and i just think that's well, the thing an important i got a very good story about that actually so i took my son coyote hunting well, he's been going coyote hunting with me since he's like one and a half. I used to put him in a backpack. But um, when he was old enough to have an opinion and talk and everything like that, um, I, a matter of fact, it was right when we got back from Argentina, Charles, three years ago. Uh, I took him coyote hunting, shot a coyote with my bow. And him and I took pictures with it. And I was like, okay, what, you know. It was, it's March that fur is starting to get crappy. So I was like, I don't know if we're going to take the pelt. I said, we might just take the skull or whatever. And he was so mad at me. Why are we not taking the meat? Why are we not going to go home and eat it? You know, I want to take it home. And he started crying. So finally, I just cut out the back straps and took it home. (laughs) And we made coyote that night, which was, you know, but that was just to make him, uh, make him happy because coyote is definitely not my favorite game meat <laughs> but um yeah I, it was just that very same thing can we take it home I, I you know this is we got this for the family why are we not taking this home it was there you know, the, four years old or whatever the other thing is pretty interesting is we i don't know many hunters that don't fish when it's not hunting season i know a lot of fishermen that don't hunt but yes. there's a natural progression there um, that we see in a lot of people and actually, um, our state, not our state wildlife agency, but there's a nonprofit arm of it. They've actually done a a program to, to begin to recruit hunters from the fishing world. Like it's a natural, it's a natural sort of progression because you're having an impact on wildlife. You're already contributing user. Uh Why not transition over and give hunting a try? And I think, I think I don't want to beat a dead horse. I just think it's innately part of who we are. I think it's innately human. It's human. 
It's very human. So 100%. Cool. So let's talk about the, the actual bill real quick. You want to give us a rundown about that, Travis? And yeah. And, and so, um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to representative Lauren Mello, who is just like, she is a rock star for us here in Florida and like champion this. Um, I think Senator uh, Brodeur, Jason Brodeur is running the the Senate side, but um, Lauren has been just like charging hell with a water pistol on this bill. And uh, I got to also recognize international order of Theodore Roosevelt. Like they've been instrumental in trying to get this language out there. And then all always our, our, our our longtime friends that you guys know and everybody SCI and congressional sportsman's foundation and Delta waterfowl and groups like that have been CCA for us in Florida, um, American sport fish association. They've all been really helpful on, on trying to get the word out and spread this. But what we're talking about is simply a constitutional amendment. So we're talking about two resolutions, a house joint resolution, a Senate joint resolution. And those resolutions are essentially approving ballot language so that on the 2024 ballot, the citizens of Florida could vote whether or not we have a right to hunt and fish. So right now, the thing we're pushing for is to obviously get it in front of committees in, in both chambers of the house, um, make it as smooth sailing as possible. And I'll tell you, I, I was looking at, at your metrics on just a howl alert. Um, I think we had over 500 people do it the first day, roughly 500 people do it the first day. And the way you guys have set it up, it's alerting 20 legislators. And I've had legislators text me and I had one jokingly text me and said, okay, you can call off the dogs now. And he was tongue in cheek because he knows he's on our side. He wants to get this done. Um, I had another tell me, um, she, she said, I think I've gotten 7,000 of those emails. And, um, but the legislators like pressure, like this works pressure like this makes it an issue that's in front of them that obviously people care enough about it. And hate to say squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like that sounds like fortune cookie politics, but it's, it's kind of true. So in this case, we're really trying to get this thing pushed through the House and the Senate so we can then focus on a on a statewide campaign to get it approved on the or get it passed on the ballot by getting people out to vote. And we're going to we're going to count again on all those partners I mentioned on you guys like to, to really help us get this home because it's it's so significant. It's so important not to go back and rehash. But when you look at our funding and the way that works and you look at where we're at in the state and the growth of our state. Man, this is a big deal. You know, Florida, we talk about conservation all the time. Um, the wildlife corridor is one of our governor's favorite projects. 20% of the Florida wildlife corridor, which is like a green infrastructure down the state, 20% of those lands were acquired with sportsman's dollars, either WMAs or refuges. Sportsmen have long played a significant part in Florida. We're just trying to protect their future in Florida. And so uh, that's why this is so important to us and, and, uh, Kudos to you guys and, and thank you to you guys for helping us get word out there about it and be a part of our team. That's so awesome to hear, yeah. um, especially from the from the legislators, because um I don't know if I should get into it or not. Uh Florida set up a little bit differently, and it was very difficult to set this action up um to reach the legislators. Uh and I was kind of I was sort of like, man, I don't know if I want to go live yet because I don't know if it's going to work. Like, I don't know what kind of replies we're going to get or whatever, but it's working. And I'm, I'm seriously so happy to hear that. Um, so yeah, we said it. So when you take action, you reach, I think there's 158. Is that so, what there is legislators in, in Florida? On the Senate? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. <clears throat> so they're all in there. When you take action, um, we could do more, but I'm setting this up a little bit differently because it'll it'll reach people a little bit better. So each time you take action, you're randomly sending an email to 20 of those 158, right? Now, depending on your cookie settings, you could just refresh it and come right back and check. Just make sure that the email that pops up, if you're not writing your own email, um, is different than the last one that you sent out. But if you just come back the next day, take action again, um, I know that it will be sending out a different email to a different set of 20. Um, but what that, I think it's just a better, it delivers better to the legislators to do it that way. Um, instead of sending 
you know, when you push the button once and it sends the same thing to all 158 and then you do it again. And then it's another message to 158 and just, we're just kind of mixing it up a little better, but, um, and I think that it'll just be better on our end. It's, the deliverability is a lot better if we do it that way. Um, but I'm so, happy to, I'm so happy to hear that though, Travis, because number one, I've, I've gotten back a personal reply from, uh, man, what was her name? Let me see her name here. A staffer? Like, or a... No, from a, from a Senator, I believe. Um, and she said, anyway, I won't be able to find it, but it was like, thank you for letting me know your opinion on SJR and, and HJR. And I was like, Oh, all right. She read this. This isn't a canned message, you know? And she basically said, when this comes across, when this comes up for a vote, I will, I will definitely, you know, uh, consider your words and things like that. You know, she didn't really say where she stands on it, but it was a reply to my email. Right. Which is cool. Which is great. Um, the other I, ones that I've got, I just said it like, right now and I'm getting all the, uh, all the email responses back. <laughs> well, this is important. So you're going to get each time I've done it. I think I've gotten about five or six auto replies out of the mm -hmm. 20 from senators or reps. Um, but it's important to read that. It's basically saying, "Hey, we get a lot of emails. You know, I might not be able to get, might not be able to get back to you immediately. Um, but if you want to communicate further, oftentimes you'll see here's our here's the my staffers' emails. So use those emails. Reach out to those people. Continue that conversation. Or here are here's the phone number to reach me. Um, especially if you live in Florida." Because they're going to ask, they're going to say, you know, where do you live and all that. And I'm not, I don't want anybody to lie, but especially if you live in Florida, call the number and just say, hey, you got these two bills coming up. I think it's super important um, for you to support these bills. You know, this is, you can tell your own story. This is a part of my culture or my heritage. This is what I've been doing. You can use some economic numbers, all that stuff, just a short conversation. You could also call after hours to leave a message if you don't want to talk to somebody. You can still leave a message, say your name, ask them to support this, call on the weekends. Nobody answers on the weekends. The point is, when there's a ton of people doing this, what Travis just said, they feel that pressure. And this is good pressure. This is good stuff. But let them know you're out there. They hear all the time from anti-hunters. Let them know that we are out there as well. And what you just said is, going back to what we, we opened up talking about, if you're not from Florida and you're taking this action alert, but you, if you're John Stallone and you're going to come down here and fish or hunt turkeys or whatever, say, I'm not a Florida resident, but I go to Florida X number of times oh, or yeah. I've been to X number of times to fish. And this is important to me. I mean, economic value matters a lot. The, our, our governor was on the news last week and, and made a statement that we've, we, we just reached our highest tourist year ever. 137 million people visited Florida last year. Mm. That's a significant number. And to, to, yes, I think there's obviously weight to a resident, but also there, we, we have a tourism driven economy still in our state. Yeah. And yeah. you can connect your non-residents to this particular bill. I'm all for being forthright and honest about it, because that is something that's going to impact not just hunters and fishermen, not just your recreation, but also businesses in the area where you recreate be it in the panhandle be it in the keys be it anywhere in between it's going to impact hotels and restaurants and uber drivers and everything else going on there which are all people that vote in their district so it's a pretty significant chunk when you look at it that way um oh yeah you're you're totally right call if you're a non-resident and especially if you have that story um if you go there the fish if you go there the hunt um yeah 100 um a very good point. Very good point. Of course. Yeah. I think someone told me once there's a, there's a guy, he's a per personality in South Florida. His name's Rick Murphy and he's well known in Florida. And Rick told me, I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but he said, if you, if you broke tourism up into its own industries, fishing would be the third largest industry in the state of Florida or fourth largest industry in lieu of tourism, it would be fishing because it's such a significant contributor. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty big. That's not nothing. Oh, it's not nothing. Like, so as a hunter, you know, with 270,000 hunters and 4 million fishermen or whatever we said a minute ago, when you combine all in, <clears throat> we provide those coattails, but fishing significant. I'm a fisherman. Like I, I'm a, I 
fish just as hard as I hunt. I, I don't know. Like you said earlier, I don't know very many hunters that don't fish. Yeah. Yeah. That That's, you know, yeah. no, it was that. the same thing, the same argument with the, you know, the recreational shooters and, and, um, hunters, you know, and hunters is that, I mean, we occupy 20 something percent of the shooting world. Right. So, cause most hunters, I would say, if not all hunters own firearms, even bow hunters own firearms, even if it's just a side piece. Right. Um, but anyway, there, there's also a history. Don't want to go down that road. There's also a historical <laughs> the right thing here. Sportsman, like so, so just like you, you brought up, you brought up the gun thing, right? Historically, yes. Today, twenty percent of gun money comes through the hunting side, and the other eighty whatever percent comes through the 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 shooting sports side. But if you go back twenty years, if you go back forty years, if you go back sixty years to the inception of Pittman Robertson, the vast majority of the monies came on the hunter side, and we can't just say, oh, well, that's flipped now, so we're going to be dismissive of hunters in that in that realm. I think the same is very true. And I feel it very heavily as a Florida guy, because historically we carried a lot of weight for land funding, for conservation funding, for agency funding. Yes, that's not the same. If you look at the snapshot of the lens today or over the last eight years or whatever. However, if you looked historically at the at the water we've carried and you looked at it over modern day dollars still far and away the biggest contributor to conservation in the state. So what we're asking for now is. Hey, have our backs because we have done so much for this state historically. Have right. our backs moving forward. Like that is the right thing to do. If you debate that, man, I don't want to be in business with you. Like that's that's kind of like not dealing in good faith. Like mm-hmm. I, I just uh, that's that's not cool to me. So I, I just think it's almost a no brainer. Like I don't know how you could be opposed to that. Yeah. You know, there's some people who look at this and they're like, hunting is a privilege. It's not a right, but they're looking at it from the wrong. I, I've even seen a few. I think hunters kind of come at it like this with this montana thing um it doesn't mean you can just go out and hunt whenever you want like this is my right out of season and kill whatever the heck you want that's not that's not what is being said i mean owning a second amendment's a right but you can lose it right you can abuse it and you can lose that um but don't look at this this way if you're like oh this is my right not so that means I don't have to pay a tax on it, right? And that means I don't, no. It's just securing <laughs> the ability and the avenue to hunt and fish in that state that can't be taken away to various degrees, which we talked about earlier. You know, we can improve on that, but this is definitely a good start. It's a huge start. Huge. Um, Thank you guys so much for all your help with it. Yeah, for sure. So because of that, we have, uh, so we've actually sent out 10,700 emails now because when you do take take action it it uh it reaches 20 you know and i sent it out monday it's funny some days are just better than others i sent it out monday morning and like it didn't it didn't deliver as good as if i send it out like on a thursday for so so funny how freaking analytics work so anyway we'll keep doing it well this will end up being more but uh i encourage everybody to share just share that action with, with all the groups, all, all your pages, your individual pages, just get people to, to get involved. Um, it honestly shouldn't say Florida. I should just hide it. it should be like, I don't know what state it is. You guess, you know, it might be your state might not be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's for everybody, you know, don't look at it as, no, oh, that's Florida. I shouldn't be concerned. This is hunting. It's the North American model, you know, yeah. take get involved there um also you know back to that return at clyde he's got a new bill out which i don't disagree with and it's and it's about taking away i think the nft tax uh that's the way to go yeah let's do that maybe we'll have an action on that and and support him that'd be kind of that'd be kind of funny right but yeah like leave the conservation dollars alone yeah yeah i so i wonder if he's just completely dropped that now the idea of the return act and then going after the nft side of things um 